and welcome to the Saturday Night South podcast. Shout out to our producer, Will, who said that I wasn't giving him enough oomph in the opening. How's that for some oomph? That was more oomph than we had in the Super Bowl. Boom. Take that. Boom. Coming out hot today. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. We've got a lot of stuff to get to today. We've got an interview with our good friend, Michael Bratton. Uh, we're going to talk all things National Signing Day. Yes, that is still happening on Wednesday. He provided some great insight. He is very plugged in um, on all things recruiting. We are going to talk about the Mizzou Bowl stuff, and we're going to get to Alliance of American Football. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, real thing. But before we get to that, I've got to ask you, Uncle Chris, how was your Sunday? It was, I had a good Sunday. I had a, I had a fun Sunday. We, me and Will and, uh, and fiance. Went down to all the Super Bowl festivities, which was a lot of fun. Met some interesting people. Met a preacher who was like street preaching and actually weighed in on who was the worst person between Brady and Belichick. I was like, okay. Whoa. Um, so we, we had a good time down there. The game was such a dud. And I'm, I was so let down by all of the uh, prop bets. Because it was, first off, we're going to talk about it. The national anthem over under. There was a huge controversy involved. Because I, to- I told you, she just... She balked in the middle of saying brave. Not okay. She, she said it twice. Gladys yeah. Knight went, went on. And, and so, I mean, I, at like a minute five, she was sitting there like, I said to my wife, I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to hit the under yeah. big time. There's big time. no way she's going to hit over a minute 47 or whatever it was. And then she went significantly over for holding those those two notes at the end there. She paused after free, and I about lost my mind. I, I, I was like still silent in my apartment, like not talking during the national anthem, but I was, I was so mad. But yeah, it was... Um, it was, it was a dud. It was not as much fun. Even the commercials weren't great. Yeah, I know. Moral of the story, college football, greater than sign, NFL Without football. Without a doubt. So, big news in college football last week. We have not had a chance to talk about this yet. And I realize the story is a little bit old, but I promise we're not, we're, we're not just going to talk about strictly what happened. We want to talk about some, some more long-term stuff with this. Mizzou gets hit with a bowl ban out of nowhere. And we find out that uh, this NCAA report comes down that Mizzou had a, a tutor who had cheated for 12 student athletes at Mizzou, some of which were football players. Um, I think they were all pre Barry Odom, even. I mean, this is this is yeah, been it was a like long time coming. Or, or it was, uh, they started the the whole investigation what 2015, 2016. Yeah, and it was a self-reported thing. So. Right. That, that prompted the freak out over, wait a minute, you mean to tell me UNC, which made up this course, this th- these fake courses, over uh, didn't get a bull ban? Yeah, over 200 yeah, fake courses. <laughs> right, made up all these courses for, for their athletes, and, right. they did, and they didn't cooperate with the NCAA, and they didn't get a bull ban, but Mizzou does for one tutor uh, cheating. So everybody's freaking out about that when this came out last week, and the NCAA obviously looks awful. But it only looks awful because of UNC. If we had just had this situation where we're just looking at Mizzou and, okay, the tutor admitted that she cheated and did and completed the, these, these courses for, for these different players, right. I mean, people have gotten popped for, for less stuff than that. So I, I don't want to dismiss it totally, but the UNC is what makes this look so egregious and like, like they're just trying to make an example of Mizzou. But as it stands right now, and Mizzou is obviously appealing this, we found this out from the AD, Jim Sterk, Mizzou appeals this, and we're expecting to, to maybe eventually get a ruling. Maybe eventually the NCAA is going to overturn this bowl ban. But as of right now, there's a bowl ban. And Mizzou is not able to go to the postseason, a team that we thought was going to have some sneaky SEC East preseason buzz. Not saying they were going to win the division, but you know, a team that had all these preseason expectations, all of a sudden the narrative has changed completely with this team. Yeah, and also like the bowl ban is not even the, the biggest part of it. 
it's you know the twelve and a half percent reduction in official visits, the seven week right. bans on unofficial visits, and in the recruiting aspect of it, which is, I mean, they got hit hard with Big the, time. I mean, and it came like you said out of nowhere, like out of nowhere, and so you're talking about twelve total students, two of which were football players, two. Maddie Mock was one of them too. Of course right? he was. Of yeah. course he uh, was. I mean, like, which that that alone should be reason enough to be like, okay, you know what? Let's move on a little bit. We should probably lessen the severity of the sanctions because of him. Like he was out of control when he was at Mizzou. The but, the Maddie Mock statue at Mizzou is not gonna. It's not coming, right? No, I think we can absolutely dismiss not. that. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not happening. Absolutely not. He, I mean, but yeah, it was pretty upsetting. And like at first when I saw it, I didn't realize how bad the actual uh, sanctions were. So I thought it was kind of funny because I was like, oh, welcome to the SEC, Mizzou. Like, you are officially right, right. in. This is what we all do. And then you kind of just, you know, peel back the layers a little bit. And it was pretty, pretty awful. Yeah. I mean, not messing around here. To have the scholarship production is, is a very severe thing but that, because that impacts how you can recruit. Having the percentage of official visits, the time frame that, that's, that's lessened, all that stuff. All that information is already out there. You can go right. look that up if you want to find out just how crazy this whole thing is. But immediately, the social media reaction to this, and we're all guilty of this. I think from the, the official SDS account, we, tw- we tweeted out the, the Simpsons gif mm-hmm. and related it to Kelly Bryant, where, you know, the, the Simpsons grandpa, he walks into that the bar. That was not me. Throw that out yeah. there. Just, just, just saying. <laughs> but I think everybody jumped to the conclusion right away, thinking that, okay, Kelly Bryant, the grad transfer from Clemson, is definitely going to leave Mizzou because we find out NCAA rules allow for a player that uh, is a, that is a senior to transfer if there's some sort of bull ban that is that is that that is related to an NCAA sanction. You are free to leave without penalty or restriction. And they announced that almost immediately after they right announced the sanctions, which honestly just seemed kind of like a helpful hint or like you know a little push out the door from the NCAA. It just the whole thing came off as pretty wrong. You know, and like it just, again, like as you peel back the layers, it just got kind of worse and worse. It was really entertaining. I will say that. And in the official report, obviously, they, they relate the, the UNC that, to, to Mizzou thing, which was a weird, weird move because... Trying to really it, cover your tracks there. Uh, but I don't think they really did that. It was no. like basically they, they said, oh, because UNC didn't cooperate... And they didn't have a, a higher code of honor <laughs> compared to Mizzou. Right. Uh, UNC wasn't punished in the same way that Mizzou was. And like, I, I get what they're trying to say, but the whole thing is is bizarre, and it's going to be dissected for a long time. But yeah. I think some of the some of the the ripple effects of what was created here, the social media reaction from the jump was. Kelly Bryant is all of a sudden back on the market. Back into the transfer portal he goes. Right. Back into back into the this free agency period of, of, of quarterbacks. He he's going to become highly coveted. Maybe it seemed like Auburn or ironically enough UNC yeah. is going to get Jeez. another is going to get another chance at Kelly Bryant. And that was the initial reaction. So just a little peel behind the onion here. One of my jobs at SDS is to write columns and react to stories like this, big time breaking news, and try and come up with some sort of original take. And so my initial thought with this is, okay, Kelly Bryant needs to be able to have the freedom to go wherever he wants. If the NCAA tells him that he can't go wherever he wants, that's a joke. And then within like five minutes, the story comes out. I'm like, okay, scrap that idea because we know that he can go wherever he wants. And then, you know, so my next idea was, okay, well, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And then I'm weighing all the options here, and I'm thinking to myself, as Mississippi I'm State, <laughs> play for Joe Moorhead. Just do, do it, it dude. Do it. I'm thinking to myself, did you play at the Wait evidence? a minute. 
No, I didn't. Okay, do that. my I bad. Go on. I would never. I would I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. This doesn't make any sense for Kelly Bryant to leave. No. I get I get that people are like, well, it sucks that he would all of a sudden be in a situation where he can't compete for a national championship and he can't play in a bowl game. But it's like, dude didn't go to Mizzou to play in the Liberty Bowl. Like, he's yeah. going there because he wants to play in that offense. He loves the skill players around him. And he wants to try and turn himself into an NFL quarterback. And all of those things are still possible, regardless of the fact that Mizzou doesn't have a current 13th game available, although right. that, can, that can change. So... Quickly, when you break down those reasons, within like an hour, it went from, oh my gosh, Kelly Bryant's going to leave Mizzou to, wait a minute. No, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then we find out, you know, reports came out by the time my call came out, uh, reports yeah. came out that Kelly Bryant does intend to stay at Mizzou. And I think that says a lot about him. I think it says a lot about the, the bowl system in general. And I think it kind of shapes the narrative a little bit for this Mizzou season that we have coming up. Let me take a breath. You react to all of that. So, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with, with almost everything you're saying. Um, one thing, I, I think the knee-jerk reaction to stuff, especially on social media, is, like like you said, we're all guilty of it. It happens a lot. I was shocked. Like, when you texted me, um, I was actually at the gym, no big deal. And I was like, I was like, that's that's kind of crazy because we hadn't heard anything about it. Like, the Ole Miss stuff is, like, probably the most recent SEC, you know, sanctions. And, like, the, that was probably the most recent one, I think, that happened in the conference. And that was like ongoing, it seemed like for years, like at least, right. you know, it, it was a whole huge drama and all that kind of stuff. So this one came out of nowhere. And if you're a Mizzou fan, I know that this was, you know, kind of reported a couple years ago because she had already started kind of shopping the evidence and like, you know, and popping off on Twitter about it. So I think the knee-jerk reaction from the national media was really bizarre because everyone, like you said, assumed he was going to transfer. From a Mizzou fan, I totally get it. And, and I think it kind of speaks to why they feel so jaded about what happened, and I think they have a good reason to, um, is that it just seems like, you know, it's you're just always waiting for the other shoe to drop if you're a Mizzou fan. It's just, I mean, it's been a tough, tough stretch for Mizzou. You talk about, like, we're not going to get into it, but everything that happened at that university, and like the, the Gary Pinkle stuff, yeah. Well, I mean, and also, like, the other stuff with the actual institution, when you're having, you know, like, the sit-ins and all this kind of stuff and, like, protests. Right, right. And then before, I mean, just in terms of sports, Porter last year comes in as the number one overall player in the country, plays for like four minutes in basketball out for the season. Um, you know, the kick against Nebraska in 97, Scott Frost team, the fifth down in like 91 or whatever. Like they have a long history of being kind of screwed over and kind of feeling like they're stepped on and, and you know, overlooked and overshadowed. I totally get it from there, that standpoint. But yeah, it was weird from the national media. You didn't even... Uh, site when they uh, got the early shaft in the NCAA tournament when they were a two seed. Oh, that was oh, and they had to play against that huge length. Who was it? It was a two first fifteen. Who was it? Yeah, I can't remember who was it. Oh, Mizzou fans are gonna kill us for this. So I had to watch that game on the DVR because my my best friend, his roommate at the time, Jeff, he's a big Mizzou fan, and I didn't I wasn't even thinking. I got up to go pee and like looked at my phone, and they gave me the final score, and I was like, oh my god, I had to sit there for like. An hour not telling him that they're about to have their oh. entire the entire March Madness room. Oh, that's oh. the man. I, fun fact, um, another sick brag. We've had a lot of sick brags early on here so far. Uh, I was waiting for a Rick Pitino press conference in Portland while watching that game. That okay. A little fun fact, people behind the onion there. All right, so I think what this also says, so we're valuing bowl games in a very high regard in one sense, and in another sense, we're completely dismissing them. From the right. Kelly Bryant standpoint, and if 
Mizzou seniors elect to stay and this ends up being just sort of a rallying cry, then I think that's really interesting because all these Mizzou players, if you're a senior and you're thinking of, you know, a guy, maybe a guy like Albert O or somebody like that who, you know, they're going to have NFL eyes on them, obviously. Right. How much is that bowl game really going to matter? I think that was one of the topics of discussion. And how much are they really going to value that, that 13th game? We're, we're not considering Mizzou as a national title contender. We're just not. I mean, they're not on the same level so, as Georgia yet. They're, they're, they're not going to be in the position that we think others are. And that's not to say that they can't be and that they can't have this miraculous season, but that says a lot about the preseason, the realistic preseason expectations, I think, of Mizzou, of if you're, if you're, you're, if you're staying there, it's not because, okay... You know, we, we think we're in a position to win a national title, and, and all of a sudden, like, we're out. Because then you would look for another place where you can compete for a national title, yeah. theoretically. But now, we're, we're, we've gotten to this point where it's like, well, you know, how much is that, is that last game really going to matter? Even if it's a New Year's Six Bowl game, and if they could be eligible for one right. after having a 10-2 season, it's like, well, you know, that, that's fine, I guess. That's not the end of the world. But at the same time, it's, it's the principle of the matter, and that's why Mizzou fans are rightfully upset with this. Well, rule. I mean, and, but you're... You're also kind of only looking at it from Kelly Bryant's standpoint. And I get the Alberto thing, too. It's like, you know, if they're not, that's not why Kelly Bryant went there. No. But that's, that's not the reason why I would say maybe even most of the players went there. It's like, I want to go to this such-and-such such bowl game. True. But it's to take it away. And, like, without just kind of, again, out of nowhere, to take that opportunity away is obviously really frustrating and again seems kind of wrong and when you talk about like Mizzou not being a national championship contender I think it was a couple hours earlier in the day 24-7 sports had just released an article that was like 10 teams that could you know um exceed expectations last year or have like a crazy run that like it was like the hottest of takes they could end up in the top 10 uh in in November that was what they said about Missouri because their schedule sets up really really yes, well for them it does and you know I don't I'm not gonna start predicting games for next year I'm not I don't think they're going to beat Georgia necessarily at Georgia. However, yeah, you're talking about a team that, you know, it's coming off a lot of momentum from what happened in November. And, you know, I know they lost the bowl game, but you're bringing in this, this great quarterback. And, yeah, like you're, you're returning a lot. I, I, think it, I think it just kind of sucks, to be honest. Oh, it, it does. It does. It absolutely does. And I think, though, regardless, I think that Kelly Bryant coming down with that early decision, I think, is going to, is going to set a tone for this team. And yeah. I, I really do think that – you know, maybe maybe it is a little bit like that, you know, kind of that, that first year that Urban Meyer had at Ohio State where that team, I mean, I'm not saying Mizzou's going to go undefeated like that team did, but I would bet on Mizzou having a season much more like that team yep. than maybe 2018 Ole Miss where, you know, like we talked about throughout the year, you, you can kind of question some of the motivation yeah. because it's, it's like you realize you're not on that same level talent-wise and when November rolls around and you're, you're, playing, in a, you're playing in a game that, to be honest, isn't going to get you a whole lot, and you're trying to figure out how do we get fired up for this one, you can question that. And I, I don't think Mizzou is necessarily going to be in that same position, but I think, I don't know about what the NCAA is going to do here because we've talked about the precedent that UNC has set and why it has shaped this perception for Mizzou, and this has, this has fueled the outrage for Mizzou. I mean, we saw Barry Odom come out and say, bring it on. We, we saw, you know, right. you see Jim Sturk come out and basically say, like, this is ridiculous. This is egregious. You know, we, we've seen all these people from, from the zoo side voice their opinions about this to the NCAA. But if you're the NCAA here, you have to worry about the precedent that this Mizzou ruling sets for the next thing. Do because you know? if they over, But if they overturn this, though, my question is, 
how how do they look from us from a, a an organizational standpoint of saying okay if we allow this to happen as well then we're basically turning a blind eye to, to to cheating in many in many ways i'm not saying that that's right but i'm saying that their their perspective from this is going to be not to cave again because they cave with the unc stuff i mean let's let's be honest and, and you brought up a great point with the greg sankey thing too about greg sankey being involved in unc and how are they going to want to walk this back and be like, whoa, public perception is too bad for us here. What are we going to do? Yeah. No, I, 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 you brought up the point about, about Greg Sankey and about him being involved in, in this UNC stuff. And I'm not sure that that necessarily is going to impact the NCAA's decision because how would it look if they allowed the, you know, if they allowed Mizzou to, um, to, to sort of let public reaction uh, dictate how they rule this case, but I, I do think that there is something to be said for Senki being involved in the UNC investigation team and not being able to come down with the ruling that they should have. Well, so and I think it's I think it says a lot more about the fact that teams and athletes and and universities from around the country are starting to realize we've given too much power to the NCAA. Okay, I know these two things are are, are definitely separate in terms of. Um, you know, improper benefits versus, you know, the academic stuff. But if you remember when Johnny Manziel, like he had, a, I think it was a half, I got one half suspension for a game. Like he was suspended for the first half or maybe it was like the whole first game of his 2013 season. When that happened, the day that news broke, because he had signed a bunch of autographs, something like that, and made like $3,000 off his own name. When that news broke and they posted a story about it on the NCAA, because I remember Jay Billis tweeted this out. They posted a story about it on NCAA.com and literally in the top right of that of that page was the a little ad for like the NCAA fan shop with a jersey of Johnny Manziel right. right in the top right. They have way too much power, and I'm not. We don't need to get into like all the ins and outs of every single thing that maybe like you know an injustice or whatever. But when you talk about the thing with North Carolina, what North Carolina did was when they appealed it, they basically said this should have gone to your accreditation agency, not the NCAA. This isn't a, a academic or not an athletic issue. It's an academic issue. And since that also was available to regular students, not just student athletes, they it was a real class in quotes. They were able to appeal it and basically said, "You're not able to judge us off of the curriculum. It might not be, you know, the hardest of classes, but it's not fraudulent." And what Sankey ended up saying about the reason they couldn't actually do anything and didn't give them any kind of sanctions was basically they the NCAA you know, expects all universities to police themselves. Which is right. what Mizzou and did. Exactly. And that's the frustration point, I think, too, that that I think Mizzou fans right now, it, your state of mind is is frustrated more yeah. than anything else. But as much as this is like, a okay, there's this war against the NCAA now, I think you need to sort of prepare yourself to just continue to be frustrated throughout this offseason. Be grateful for the fact that your transfer quarterback, Kelly Bryant, is staying on board. Mm-hmm. Be grateful for the fact that you feel like you have a good roster moving forward. A guy like Alberto came back to school instead of going to the NFL draft. You feel good about that and this running game that you've been able to establish. Mm-hmm. And defensively, you made some nice improvements in year three of the Barry Odom era, which they needed to do. Right. And you're sitting there, and yeah, this this might this might just be a big bummer that they're not able to play in the postseason potentially. But like I I, I do think that there's perception right now of this program needs to change. Because I don't think this is a situation where you can just assume it's going to get better just because how how strong the reaction has been. If you're holding out hope for that, I think you're going to be disappointed again. And that's not my way of trying to yeah. pour cold water on Mizzou. But like, 
I, I just have a tough time seeing the NCAA doing the right thing, doing the right thing, and <laughs> no. going into and and you know leaning into logic. So to yeah, speak. I mean, and hats off to to like Barry Odom and the AD and Kelly Bryant, like you said, because it says a lot for them to kind of take this in stride and be like, yeah, fine, bring it on, literally, literally bring it on. You know, I love Odom. Barry Odom for saying that. That's I love awesome. him for saying that. And so I mean, I understand the fans being upset and they have a right to be and to you know you know have the outrage on social media, and I. I'm sure it'll be appealed. I don't know if it'll be successful or not. Hardly any appeal to the NCAA ever is successful, I feel like. But this one, if it gets overturned, it shouldn't be because of the social media you know, uproar and, and reaction. It should be because, hey, you know what? Maybe maybe we overreact to this one. Yeah, like maybe we got up on, on the wrong side of the yeah. bed, you know, a little bit, you know, a punishment warranted, right. obviously, but, you know, to, to go to that extent, uh, maybe might mean too much. But... Um, Okay, so we have our, like I said, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to learn more information as, as some of this stuff comes out. So I promise we're going to hit on some of the other details and, you know, all, obviously all the updates with this. Yeah. And Mizzou just became a lot more interesting. I'll say that. I will yeah. definitely say that. Mizzou well, is... The last thing I'll say is, like, when you talk about them trying to change the narrative, I feel like they they have been and, and they were on their way to doing it. It just seems like for whatever reason. I, I don't think if they were a big blue blood collegiate program, this would have happened. That's a fair point. That's a fair. I, I really can't. I, I try and be. I try and like separate that stuff as much as possible. But I, I don't can't think disagree you can with, with this one. I really. I mean, yeah. I really don't think you can. And that Scott Frost kickball, man, ninety-seven. That was ridiculous. <laughs> Go ask a Nebraska fan about that game. They will. They will talk about it for. What three could they hours. possibly say about it? It was definitely, definitely a bad call. Uh, you know the look on your face when you get when you talk about your firstborn child. Oh God. That's basically that. <laughs> fair enough. All right. All right. I get that look our- on my face. When we talk, we talk about, about Texas Pete, oh, that's this is a good little take, good little transition. That was a good huh? little transition. Take All right, it away. so that's good. Um, we're about to do an interview. We did an interview earlier today with Michael Wayne Bratton, uh, who works for us at SES. He's fantastic. There's a lot about recruiting. He brought up Hoover High School. One of my favorite players from Hoover High School was a repeat. Repeat me. You know what I like to repeat? My hot sauce on everything. We had a nice little spread yesterday for the Super Bowl. We made sure that we had you know nachos, wings, all the stuff you need. Also made sure I had a little bit of Texas Pete. Actually, it was a lot of bit of Texas Pete. We literally put it on everything. I did my old, it was the last day of football, Connor, so I, I got like my old recipe out and I put fried chicken and potato salad and the Texas Pete on top. I'm going to trademark that recipe. Regardless, if you want other recipes, make sure you go to texaspeet.com, make it a part of your game day tradition, or, you know, just your Saturday, Monday, or Wednesday tradition. It goes on everything. So go to texaspeet.com slash tailgating for other recipes. Find some cool videos there. And, uh, you know, definitely find us in a couple weeks when we go out to the AAF, uh, first game in Atlanta, because we will have some Texas Pete for that tailgate, because tailgating season never ends. All right, let us go to our interview now with Michael Bratton. We're now joined by our SDS partner in crime, Michael Bratton. If you're listening to us right now, you probably already follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's at Michael W. Bratton. Uh, Michael heads up our news team. He crushes all things recruiting for us. Michael, I want to start with your bread and butter. That's Tennessee. The assumption, I think, when Pruitt took over was that he was going to be able to recruit. I mean, we've seen what he did with Georgia, with Florida State, with Alabama. And he's done that extremely well so far. And the Vols are in this position now where, you know, they're sitting there, I think, at number 15, and they could potentially make a push close to the top 10 if they finish strong, you know, despite the fact that they haven't been to the postseason in the last two years. What's the thing that's impressed you the most about the way that Pruitt has assembled this class in his first full cycle? 
Yeah, well, when Jeremy Pruitt got to Knoxville, he famously said, where are all the big guys? And I think he said that because obviously he looked at the roster, lacking on both lines of scrimmage. He assumed Butch Jones had kind of brought in a lot of explosive playmakers. So, I, you know, I think that he started out doing, doing well, keying on big physical players. And they're doing, you know, they locked in quite a few here in this 2019 recruiting class. But come to find out once he got these guys on the field, Tennessee's lacking explosive playmakers too. So just so many holes to fill in, in this recruiting class. There's just too many, you know, you can only sign so many guys. So I think he's done an all right job. You know, I think his big miss key this year in his first recruiting cycle, you know, you know, he obviously spent time at Alabama and Florida state and Georgia, but one place he didn't have a ton of expertise in was the state of Tennessee. So I think he had a lot of, I don't want to say misevaluations, but maybe he just didn't put full effort into as many guys as he should have in the state. He kind of keyed on it on the places he knew the best, Alabama and Georgia and Florida and stuff like that. So uh, they landed several offensive linemen. I think even the most casual Tennessee fans can know, if you know one thing about the volunteers on the field right now, is their offensive line play has just been terrible the last couple of years. So, Bringing in a, they've already signed a five-star offensive lineman and Wanya Morris. He's already on campus working out. Uh, they got a, they've got four guys signed there, and they've got one more coming almost assuredly here on National Signing Day. Uh, top ten prospect in the nation, Darnell Wright. He's also a five-star from West Virginia. So, really like what Jeremy Pruitt's done on the offensive line. Unfortunately, it could take a year or two even for for the results to see that on the field, but. Uh, of these four or five offensive linemen they're bringing in, I mean, I'm I'm expecting two or three of them to play from day one. So kind of piggybacking off that, um, and Tennessee not getting as many in-state players, I think Pruitt only landed two of the top ten players in the state of Tennessee. But like you said, he was able to go get Wanya Morris out of Georgia and like a perennial power in Grayson. Um, it's a great high school. But uh, he also was able to like raid North Carolina and Georgia, getting 12 total players from a class from both those states. Does he need to focus on Tennessee more next year, or is he planning to recruit nationally more, kind of like Fulmer used to do? Well, I think things have obviously changed in not only the SEC landscape, but in the state of Tennessee. A lot of people not familiar with the area may not understand this, but uh, with Nashville's growth, and Memphis at the same time has, has grown somewhat, but Nashville's just exploded. There's so many good players in the state of Tennessee now where – I don't think they need to focus as much nationally. They, they still they still should, and they reach out to California and the Carolinas, like you mentioned, South Carolina, Georgia. Georgia's going to be probably their key forever moving forward just because how many players are there. But in the state of Tennessee, I mean, you're looking down the list here. you got three of the top ten going to Georgia. you got number one going to LSU. you got guys going to South Carolina. I mean, if – Tennessee and Jeremy Pruitt don't recruit these guys. They're going to be playing against them. That's the reality. So uh, I think I think it will be a little bit different than Fulmer's era just because of the Nashville population explosion. So there's good players all over the state of Tennessee. I think it will be more of 50-50. Maybe 50-50 is even a little too much, but maybe 40% Tennessee recruits, 60% southeast and nationally. And I think Tennessee could build a really good roster doing it that way. Uh, but – that's a shortcoming that Jeremy Pruitt and his staff, I think they've already started to correct that because uh, from what I understand in the 2020 class, there's about a dozen elite prospects out of the Memphis area, and Tennessee's offered all of them, already getting them on campus, looking ahead 
for the 2020 cycle. So I think it's fair to say that Jeremy Pruitt has realized uh, he needs to spend a little bit more time in the volunteer state if he's going to build that roster up the right way. Two guys that aren't in the state of Tennessee, Darnell Wright, as you talked about earlier, the five-star offensive lineman, top unsigned recruit in the country, and then George Pickens, who's the other top unsigned, he's a top unsigned skill player in the country, and he's been committed to Auburn for a long time. Tennessee's in the mix to land both of them. We think that Tennessee is going to get right, barring some crazy last minute, um, you know, change of heart, something like that. But just what do you think the latest on both of those guys in, what on both of those guys, what do you think the latest is, and where do you think that they're going to end up? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, Darnell Wright, his high school coach, uh, Billy Seals. I went to high school with him, so uh, Ooh. Let, me just, let me just say I'm feeling good about that one. Feeling good about that one. All right. but he took his official visit to Knoxville, and Darnell Wright, his recruitment has been very unusual. I've never really seen one like this. Uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, he's a top 10 overall prospect, not at his position, but nationally. He's only taken two official visits. I've never seen anything quite like it. He he went to the in-state West Virginia school, but I think he just did that out of a courtesy to the new coaching staff there. And he's been, you know, Alabama and Georgia have been after him, but he's never visited their campus. He's been to Tennessee's campus about six times during his recruitment. His final official visit was to Knoxville. For whatever reason, he's still not committed, but I, I don't know. I guess he just wanted to really take his time, and no one else could kind of crack, crack it, that case in there. Uh, so, Darnell Wright, I, I would say most assuredly is going to Tennessee. And George Pickens, the other guy you mentioned, that's that's an interesting one because he also took his final official visit there to Knoxville over the weekend. And for those that don't know, he played at Hoover, which is mm-hmm. where Jeremy Pruitt got his start in the high school ranks. So, it's not only Pruitt, but the defensive coordinator, Kevin Schur, he's from Hoover. Uh, the director of uh, football operations up there is a guy by the name of Todd Watson, also from Hoover. I mean, so many Hoover connections with Tennessee right now, a lot of things pulling in the direction of George Pickens, and he's on record at, at uh, I believe it was the Under Armour All-American game he was at, he said, if Jeremy Pruitt had been hired on at Tennessee a year earlier, he would be committed to Tennessee, so a lot of things wow. go into Tennessee's direction there, but in a strange twist, I mean, all these recruiting stories are always wild, aren't they, but apparently as soon as Pickens left his Knoxville visit this weekend, he made his pit stop down at Auburn, so I don't know if that's if he's telling Auburn, "Hey, I'm not coming," because he's been he's been committed there for quite a while, uh, or maybe he's just reaffirming his commitment there. So I think we're going to have to wait and see a national signing day, but that would be a huge coup for Tennessee because that's, like I said, many of the the holes they have their explosive playmakers are one of them, and from a lot of people down there at the Under Armour All American game said, "This George Pickens, I mean, he just separated himself so much." Basically, Julio Jones is the type of player I'm hearing. He kind of Whoa. is similar to. So, I mean, this is a guy that wherever he goes, whatever SEC program now, George is after him as well. Uh, I think he's going to be a difference maker regardless of where he goes. So speaking of Auburn and obviously offensive difference makers, Bo Nix, five-star quarterback, Patrick Nix's son, legacy to Auburn. Is he finally going to be the right fit for Malzahn? Because we know he struggled recruiting a quarterback out of high school and just developing them on campus. Is this guy finally going to be the right fit? I think it depends on whether Gus Malzahn can land him a graduate transfer, preferably one that played defensive back somewhere else. I mean, for whatever reason, <laughs> Gus Malzahn 
<laughs> he will not play a high school quarterback. I don't know. I guess maybe he's still burned by Jeremy Johnson. I mean, I think he's got to get over that at some point because all indications are Bo Nix is the real deal. He went down at uh, – he is also, I believe, went to that Under Armour All-American game, and he separated himself as the best quarterback there. Uh, it doesn't seem – doesn't seem to be a ton of confidence there at Auburn and what they have on the quarterback depth chart. Bo Nix already signed. He's going to be there for spring football. Um, I, and, you know, we've just seen it so many times now. In today's day and age, I don't know what it is specifically. Maybe it's, you know, all these passing academies and whatnot. But so many freshmen come in, and they're ready to play. I mean, they may not be outstanding day one, but we've seen Tua. We've seen Trevor Lawrence. I mean, there's – there should be no fear in, in putting these guys in, and by the end of the season, I mean, they're up to speed. So uh, if he's the real deal and Auburn doesn't play him, I think uh, old Gus Malzahn is going to be back on the hot seat because if, if, he's, got a, if he's finally got another big-time player, he needs to play him. And, and one, another thing I do like about Bo Nix, I think a lot of people just think he's like a statuesque pocket passer like uh, Stidham was, but he's a very athletic kid. You go look at his highlight tape, he looks like freaking Brett Favre, man. So I, I love this kid. I'm, I'm curious to see what he looks like, and I, I hope he gets on the field next year. That was uh, a little, speaking of Tennessee, um, that was like a little Gruden thing right there. If we just cut off that sound bite, he looks like freaking Brett Favre, man. I love that. That's that's great. We'll just we'll cut off that, that sound bite for you. Uh, so the four-star linebacker out of California, Henry Tioto Oto. Uh, tell me how badly I just mispronounced his name and what the latest buzz on him is. Oh, yeah, Teototo. I mean, no one knows how to say it, but they all want him, I'll tell you that. And this one looks like it's down to Tennessee, Alabama, and now Washington's kind of fixed their way in. Uh, but, you know, for any SEC fans wondering, well, how tough will it be for, you know, Alabama or Tennessee to pull him from California? From what I understand, the family's pulling a Tua to where they're all going to move with him. I mean, what college freshman does not want his entire family moving with him? But uh, apparently that's going to be the case here. Uh, And also I've heard, I mean, so his main connection to Alabama was Tosh LePoy, who obviously has already gone to the Cleveland Browns. So that's kind of wedged Tennessee a little bit more in there. And when Tennessee hosted uh, Toto on his official visit, from what I understand, they put up film of Mac Wilson when he was coached by Jeremy Pruitt. Look like an all-SEC player. They put up film of Mac Wilson last season, said he doesn't even, you know, on the same plane. So I think that really put something in his head if he wanted to be coached as well as he could come to Tennessee. But then again, I mean, Alabama, the allure of Alabama, national championship after national championship compared to a team that's not even going to bowl games. I mean, he's got a lot to weigh on his on his shoulders there and uh, – this is one that it depends on who you talk to. They think he's going one place. Other people think he's going to the other. So I think this is going to be a national signing day decision. Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, if he does put on that Tennessee hat, he doesn't throw it like Quay Walker did last year. That was, that was hard. <laughs> <laughs> so there are seven players in the top 100 for the 24-7 sports um, top 100. They're still uncommitted, and the SEC is in play for and leading for six of the seven. So, which team has the biggest chance to make a big splash on Wednesday by getting those guys? Well, I think for that, it's clearly going to be LSU. So right. they had a lot of these schools had um, 
the final weekend there, they they've just kind of turned it into like a junior day event because yeah. most of their most of their class is locked up, so they're just trying to get a head start on 2020. Whereas LSU, this is more of the traditional, you know, weekend before National Signing Day. They rolled out the red carpet for all these guys. I mean, they're talking a top defensive lineman in the state of Louisiana who they've been battling with Alabama for years. Um, Ishmael Softshire, he's he was there. I'd, I'd like him to go to LSU. Christian Williams, four-star defensive back, who's an Alabama commit. He was in Baton Rouge. Devontae Lee, he was on his official visit. That's that's an Alabama-LSU battle. Uh, Brian Young, defensive lineman, four-star Alabama commit. He was in Baton Rouge. Four-star defensive lineman Charles Moore, also on his official visit. And they also had a junior college defensive lineman. He committed over the weekend to LSU, who was there on his official visit. So clearly it was, it went really well. And even if LSU only flips a handful of those guys, you know, of those of those five, maybe if they get three of them, I think it's going to be a great day, and I think there's a there's an opportunity they get even more. So LSU is that team for me. That I mean, they're already highly ranked, but if they close strong, uh, I think Coach O and all them they're going to be uh, eating a lot of gumbo on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, there's talk they could even sneak into the top three, which is crazy. Um, so what SEC team? I'm going to say bowl team and non-bowl team address their their needs the most with these classes. Hmm, bowl, which bowl team addressed their need the most? I would definitely say Florida because one thing a lot of people, you know, obviously Dan Mullen, a great coach, great offensive mind. I thought it was really impressive what he was able to do when I, you know, I took a deep dive last week on Saturday Down South with a lot of third down passing numbers. I was pretty uh, stunned at just how low Felipe Franks, he was yeah. dead last on all of these. So that tells me that they didn't ask him to do too much. But they still, they, they were able to squeeze so much production out of a guy that maybe was not fully comfortable with the system. Uh, so Dan Mullen clearly knows what he's doing on the offensive side. But that defense was pretty outstanding. I did not see that coming last year from Todd Grantham's unit. But the problem is they're losing a lot of guys in the NFL, and they don't really have the depth. We saw that, you know, against the uh, excuse me Georgia in that cocktail party, once they had some, a DB go down, I mean, they were just ruined on defense. It carried over to the following week against Missouri. I mean, they have great frontline talent, but they don't have the backups necessarily on defense. And you, you can thank Jim McElwain for that, but they've really, really had a really nice early signing period. They're in it for a lot of elite players here on National Signing Day. If they can close with just a couple more guys, I mean, it, you're talking, you're bringing in nationally elite top 300 players and you're not even asking most of them to play immediately. You're asking them to serve as backup roles who, I mean, they will have to get on the field, but you're just not going to need them to start immediately. Uh, I think Florida, what they've done, they've really crushed it for what they need to do. And then a non-bowl team, I'm going to go, this is kind of easy, Arkansas, just because they have basically needs at literally every position. And they did really well. I mean, you're seeing uh, this is the the class of this of the year in the SEC where all the fans are you know they're uh, tagging the NCAA and wondering what are the shenanigans going on in Fayetteville? Who wants to go play for <laughs> two and ten in Arkansas? But the reality is, when you're two and ten, you can sell immediate playing time to everybody, and that's what they're doing. They're bringing in tons of athletes. I mean, I really like Brett Bielema as a coach, but you know the talent clearly just went off a hill there toward the end of his tenure, and we saw that last year. I mean, Arkansas, 
lacking of explosive players all over the field. So they were able to sell that to so many uh, defensive backs, receivers, tight ends, running backs. So they're going to have a lot of guys. I, I think Arkansas is still going to be one of the worst teams in the SEC, but I think they're going to be a lot more fun because you're going to you're, they're going to be very inconsistent. But you'll see you know shades of what could be coming in the years to come next year if all these guys see the field. So I think with a team like Georgia, the hay is kind of in the barn. At this point, we really know what Kirby Smart's class is going to look like. But at the same time, Kirby is always good for that at least one surprise on signing day, whether it's a flip, whether it's a guy who didn't appear to, be, to have Georgia on his radar and all of a sudden he does. Who do you think that person is on Wednesday? And keep in mind that if you get this right, we're definitely going to credit you and say you've, you heard it here first on Monday from Michael Braddon. Yeah, the one guy that I really like – that may fit that criteria, four-star defensive back from Florida, uh, Kair Elam, and he is mm-hmm. the nephew of Matt Elam, who played in Gainesville, obviously, for Urban Meyer, was long considered to be going to Florida, and then, of course, Georgia came in there, hired his uh, the, the guy that was recruiting him to Florida, Charlton Warren, threw a ton of money at him, and it just so happened to be, it was the weekend that uh, Elam was on his official visit to Athens, so you know they lined that up, I think they're putting all their efforts into, into getting Elam. And obviously, when you get someone over a division, your, your main division rival there, I mean, that's just, it's more, even more of a coup. Uh, but one other name to keep in mind, because Georgia, uh, obviously losing some, some talent there at tight end, they're kind of, they're really thin at that position now after a declaration and a transfer. Uh, they got a guy coming in, Brett either he's down to Alabama or Georgia if Kirby Smart can pull that one off particularly on his uh, his, his old coach there I mean you get both those guys I think Georgia's is I mean that I think they'll have the best day of the SEC if they can get those two guys because that's that's all they need all right so one more big prediction which freshman's gonna have the biggest immediate impact next season uh is it gonna be somebody like Antonio Alfano from Bama that Zach Pickens from Carolina Nolan Smith on defense or somebody like John Emery from a skill position standpoint? Uh, biggest impact. All right. It's definitely going to be Tennessee. I'm going down the list here. <laughs> yup. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, old Darnell Wright because I think he's going to probably start yeah. left tackle immediately. So, you know, obviously it's not a sexy position, but if you can get that, those guys in there and, and um, you know, protect the, the, the passer, I mean, that's what Tennessee has been needing for about three or four years. So, Right. Uh, I think that would be huge. Uh, now, another guy, of course, you got to look at someone like Nolan Smith, 24-7 sports, got him number one player in the nation. Georgia, I mean, that's kind of the missing key there is they need pass rushers, pass rusher, pass rusher. And that's what uh, a lot of the guys that go down to IMG, you know, I, I put a little extra stock in those guys because I just feel like they prepare them a lot better for college than a traditional high school. So, He's already on campus. He, he's working out with the team. I think by fall he'll be ready to come in and be that edge rusher they need. I think that's a little bit easier to make an impact as an edge rusher. You know, you don't have, he doesn't have to be an every-down player. Nolan Smith, definitely for Georgia, they're going to have a really nasty defense next year, and then he may be uh, key to, to push them over the edge, finally getting past Alabama. Last question for you um, on on a player. The Jerron Eli story, I I think it's fascinating, and I'm not sure if it's getting enough love nationally because 
Kyler Murray is doing what he's doing, but in a way, this is like the high school version of, of Kyler Murray. And I think that, you know, for those of you who don't know, you know, Eli is this guy, or Ely is this guy who, you know, was committed to Ole Miss for a long time, and then he just recently dropped his commitment. He's a five-star running back, but he's expected to be a first-round draft pick in the in Major League Baseball in a few short months. And now he's deciding between Clemson and Alabama and Mississippi State. How do you think this this all shakes out? And should we probably be making a, a bigger deal of this? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it really depends on what he does. Uh, obviously, I don't follow Major League Baseball and all that very closely, but. True. Kind of like you were saying, from what I understand, he's going to be a first-round pick. And I just think it's a little bit different. If you're running back as opposed to a quarterback, obviously your shelf life to make that money in the NFL is, is one is completely different than the other. So if he's a first-round Major League Baseball prospect and he gets drafted and he gets that money, I think you got to take that over being a running back as, as much as I would prefer to see this guy in college football. But – you know, you're right. He, this was an interesting recruitment. Long-time Ole Miss commit. He set the Under Armour All-American game record for rushing yards. I think I think that had more to do with uh, Darnell Wright and Wanya Morris blocking for him, to be honest with you. But uh, <laughs> that kind of blew up his his recruitment. And then he was out there. I mean, he was openly you know, praising Clemson for beating Alabama in the national championship game. And he was officially visited Clemson immediately after. So, uh, Clemson is, is the perceived favorite, but he also spent the final weekend there in Tuscaloosa. So Clemson, Alabama, you know, getting this guy, Major League Baseball, I mean, he's got a heck of a decision to make. But uh, I, I would just advise him, you know, not knowing much about his Major League Baseball status, but if you get taken in the first round and you're running back, I just think you gotta you got to cash that check while you can. You, you mentioned Kyler Murray where – Quarterbacks, I mean, we just we just saw it in the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's what is he, fifty years old? He's still slinging out there. So, just <laughs> a completely different quarterback and running back. Um, I, I think he's got to take that money while he can get it. Last, last, last question for you. I've never asked you this, and I, I've always wanted to. So, your Twitter name, your username is SEC Mike. Can I assume that that's a play off of Prison Mike or Date Mike? And if so, which is the best Mike? <laughs> No, no, not at all. This, that was, um, I can't remember how long ago it's been, but whenever I, I was trying to jump on Twitter for the first time, right, I was, I was trying to decide, do I want to be Tennessee Mike? Or my roommate talked me into being SEC Mike because he just said you could basically reach more of an audience that way. So that's what I went with. I thought that rolled off the tongue a little bit better. And, um, you know, if you find me on Twitter and you see that SEC Mike, I mean, it pretty much says it all. You know what I do and who I am. Uh, so that's that's why I went with it. I like that. Well, you are our favorite Mike uh, on this podcast. Prison Mike is a very, very close second, though. I will, I will definitely say that. Uh, Michael Bratton, I uh, appreciate you coming on. You're going to be uh, doing a, a ton of stuff for us on Wednesday. Make sure you are following him on Twitter. That is at Michael W. Bratton. Um, yeah, good stuff as always, and uh, we'll do this sometime soon, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on your three-way here, guys. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Thanks, Mike. (laughs) Appreciate it. We'll talk soon. So we got to talk about a lot of specifics, I think, with the SEC, um, with Michael, talk about different different targets that we're going to find out on Wednesday. But something that I think is going to be discussed as as a bigger picture sort of aftermath thing in year two of this thing is what February signing day is and what it looks like moving forward. 
Now, the easy take, I think, to, to jump to is just to say, oh, well, we're, we're sort of, we're sort of, you know, in this weird position where we're not used to how to treat this, and yeah. we we want we want this to be what it used to be, which is everybody commits on National Signing Day. It's a hoopla. It's a frenzy. It's it's Christmas of the off season for college football fans, but it, it's no longer like that. And right. you know, you can point to the numbers. Obviously, thirteen of the top one hundred of the of the twenty four seven sports composite recruits are going to be committing. That's it. The, the yeah. 87 others are, are committed. So, well, no, that's I, I 13 mean, I got to sign. There's seven. There's only seven that are even uncommitted. Yeah. So there are. Yeah. So there are 13 total that are that right. are going to sign, and then yeah, seven that are that are uncommitted. But yeah, I mean, I think that just kind of speaks to the direction that that we're heading in. But at the same time, I actually think February signing day is going to continue like this. Oh yeah. And, and I, I think that I think what just needs to change is our expectations of it. And I think we that we kind of need to maybe. Look at this as sort of a week fourteen of the college football season. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, that's a really good analogy, to be honest. So it's, it's, really it's like it's like right after conference championship week, and you're sitting there on Saturday, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what do I what do I do yeah. when I don't have a Saturday full of college football?" Oh, Army Navy's and here. Army Navy's here. College game day still on, so you get a little taste. You get a little something it's like to look some forward D2 to. Some D two game in like either Virginia or North Dakota, because that's the only play. In those two North states. Dakota State, yeah, yeah, North Dakota State. Shout out uh, Carson Wentz. Um, yeah, he's still doing stuff, I think. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that we just need to change our expectations of this because I think if we go into this still thinking, oh man, we're comparing this to what it once was three, four years ago, we're just going to continue to be disappointed. But I, I, I think now. Let's just get realistic and let's you know w- w- let's enjoy the fact that we still have some of these big time announcements. We're yeah. still gonna have shenanigans. I mean, we had shenanigans last year for this thing too, and it was year one. It was sort of the beta test for this. Right. And now in year two, we're still gonna get the crazy announcements. We're gonna get uh, the you know the the people flipping on hats, and moms walking out at the last <laughs> second because I don't see, their kid picks the wrong school. We're gonna get that. I, are we ever gonna get another Alex Collins though? Where the mom just leaves? We deserve. Now. We, we do. One, we got one last year. We got one last year with uh, with Walker. The, she the... walked off in the middle of the actual uh, presentation. Yeah, was yeah was that the, or my, No, it was the kid from Florida because there was they were all wearing oh, different. That's was, right. Everyone was wearing either Bama, Tennessee, or Florida stuff, and it was like, I don't know who's who's happy or sad right now. Um, she was not happy. That's for sure. I mean, yeah, there's not gonna be as much, I guess, crazy antics and viral stories that's gonna happen tomorrow. Uh, I think 77% of the overall FBS signees already signed in December. Or recruits already signed in December. I bet it's even higher for Power 5 schools. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, and it's it was almost the exact same amount. I know it was in the high 70s a year ago. I think it was actually 78%. So, yeah, I think this is a trend that's going to probably stay consistent like this. But I don't think it's ever going to be something where they move it or they need to move it or anything like that. Because you have a lot of kids, you know, that have maybe they have a great – senior year and start to get recruited late in the season um, by, you know, bigger programs. But also it kind of gives us a little bit more momentum during the season. You know, it's two weeks or three weeks right after the, the season ends. And I think for from like a coaching standpoint and for the programs itself, it makes it a lot easier going into like the off season in quotes. I, I think that coaches have, have adjusted to this already. We've yeah. heard some coaches have said like, yeah, I've really, I've, I've already adjusted to it. This, this is fine because right. the benefit of it 
is that if you're a coach, you can assess your needs and really attack them in that month that you get, basically in January, to say, all right, we need help at, at, on the offensive line, and we need to go recruit like gangbusters yeah. and, and go get these kids. And I think it, at the same, from so from a coaching standpoint, from uh, from a recruit standpoint, you need to still have that that safety valve. Yeah, you know, instead of forcing kids to to make this decision in December, just because of the way that I think you should the, do it freshman year, like, dude. Ooh. No, that would be never. really interesting. Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a really good point. Also, man, not that like we should ever they, those coaches make a lot of money, but it would be nice to have a little bit of a break, wouldn't you think? To like kind of reset your and reevaluate like where your program is, your team is in January. Like there, I remember hearing a story one time of Saban when he was at LSU and they won the national championship, and it was in New Orleans. And the next morning they had a meeting at seven a.m. and he ripped into either Muschamp or uh, who was the other one. No, it was Muschamp. No, he ripped into Muschamp because he was behind on recruiting this many guys. And it was like, we just won a national championship like four hours ago, dude. <laughs> so, I mean, I think it's it's probably better for things like that. Just kind of adjust going into like the offseason and, and spring football. And, and also like being able to recruit the 2020 class or the juniors from the year, the next year. I thought about this too. Can you imagine being someone like George Pickens right now? The we talked about him a little bit with uh, with Michael Bratton, a guy who's been committed to Auburn yeah. for a very long time, and he he delayed his his decision, didn't want to sign in December, and he's getting recruited by the likes of you know Georgia and Tennessee and Miami, and he's yeah. getting to go on on all these last minute official visits, and in a way you kind of get to be you know for lack of a better King way of the castle. Yeah, king of the castle, last person at the bar, and people are just kind of looking around, and it's yeah. like all of a sudden, yeah, he's he goes from being a guy who you know he tore it up at the at the Under Armour All American game, but at the same time, it's like, well, he's the second highest rated um, unsigned right. recruit right now, and next to a guy in, in Darnell Wright who we think is is a lock to sign at Tennessee, like we talked about. Yeah. So you are very highly coveted at a position that everybody needs, and like I got to think that from a recruiting standpoint, being one of these February recruits has a ton of benefits. I don't know necessarily if if you're going to get that sort of resistance from from kids. Not that w- what kids will say has really had a big impact on the NCAA and its decision-making, right. but I just think that it kind of from all sides, now the coaches are more on board with this. We're a lot more comfortable with the way that this cycle sets up, and we just have to, we just have to understand what this February signing day is now. It's also the second straight year that the number one player in the state – of Alabama was a five-star receiver, and he's not going to go to Alabama. That's neither here nor there. That is kind of crazy, Connor. It's really crazy. And that other one, Justin Ross, had a pretty good game in the national championship. Um, regardless, I, I think it's – yeah, then, I mean, I don't really understand, like, the, the, the couple kids that are even uncommitted, not just unsigned, but uncommitted, they pretty much know where they're going to go, even, like, on the crystal ball projections. Like, nothing's really changed. Like, talk about the Darnell Wright thing. It's like he's, like, a 95% lock to go to Tennessee – so I don't really understand from that standpoint why they wouldn't commit. I wish that somehow we could just streamline all this a little bit easier to read, like on any of the recruiting sites. Because I have never been more confused. It was like, all right, who's their highest rated player? It's like, well, this is a kid from high school that's already enrolled. Here's a hard commit, soft commit, a JUCO. I'm like, what in the hell is going on? Right? What's a soft commit? I want to be a medium commit. Yeah, lukewarm. I want a medium rare commit. It's always the one you most medium suspect. I don't know. I might. I don't. Yeah. Right. I just I, there's there's a couple guys like I was trying to figure out like the recruiting classes and like all the rankings and it's always moving and you know then you have the transfers and then you have like people that are gonna transfer out all that kind of stuff but there was a uh, there was one kid that's committed to Bama we talked about him earlier it's a cornerback and he's been they've been known for months that he's gonna decommit and sign with somebody else but he's still counted 
in Alabama's current class. Is that Christian Williams? Yeah. Yeah, Christian Williams is yeah, he's been a commit for a while. But yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the fun though of what of what this February signing day is. It's the opposite become. of fun, Connor. <laughs> what I just say. No, I mean you I guess you're fine you're kinda right. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we're gonna. I mean, we're still gonna have a, a podcast on Wednesday that yeah. we're gonna we're gonna recap all this stuff and we're gonna talk about all the the vital things and we'll get to talk about this with with some finality too. And I think that 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 kind of puts it all in perspective and yeah. we we kind of know where we're going from here. So we we'll have more signing day stuff. Oh yeah, twenty twenty. Let's let's talk twenty twenty. Who's gonna be the? That's yeah, we're not gonna get. No, it's not. Um, we are gonna get into some Alliance of American Football talk because as the NFL ends. And we move on to this this new wave that is starting this weekend. Alliance of American yeah. Football kicks off on Saturday. You can watch that on CBS. Depending eh, depending on your local affiliate, might be seeing a little bit of Atlanta against Orlando, which I think I'm going to be at that game. I'm not sure. We're rivals, dude. Make it down there. Uh, yeah, we're big time. Our our cities are battling. Um, and I think that this discussion of pro football leagues and how many have started up, even Ricky Williams is starting up this this league with a bunch of former players. Okay, yeah. don't everybody's, go to that league, guys. Everybody's got a league. The XFL is going to be starting up next year, and we, we hear about the Pacific Pro Football wants to all of a sudden get high school players, and they're trying to get Trevor Lawrence to, to be the next Joe Namath and essentially do what he did yeah. for the AFL. And all these leagues are going to be sprouting up. And... It's interesting because this does have an impact on college football, and I, I, I'm not saying that it, it's necessarily going to all of a sudden replace college football or replace the NFL. I think both are juggernauts that are way too big. Yeah. But just think about this from 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 our standpoint. I mean, we're, we're two guys who obviously love college football. We can sit down on Saturday night in February when we think there's nothing on besides you know college basketball during the day, and on one sideline on Saturday night, there's going to be Aaron Murray, and the guy in his ear is going to be Michael Vick. And on the other sideline is Steve Spurrier. Yeah. Making making all these calls and you know regardless of the fact that this competition is not going to be, you know, what what we would normally expect from a pro football league and that's always the big knock on these things. It's going to be really entertaining, I think, from if if it's done right, if it's managed right. right. And I do think that as football fans who love the SEC, I think that this is going to, to satisfy an itch in a weird way to see some of these guys that just because they flame out in the NFL, we now all of a sudden have a chance to watch them on an American stage right. playing with normal rules with coaches that we're, we're used to. Well, and also, like, you, can't, you can't get a better transition from the NFL, which is the, you know, the biggest product in sports in the world, and the Super Bowl especially, when you have like over 100 million people watching it, at least in uh, the U.S., and I think it's like, what is it? Like, how many worldwide? It's ridiculous. It's like at least like a sixth or a seventh of the entire world. It's crazy. I can't count that high. However, Me neither. However high it is. Fractions are the worst. But regardless, you go from a dud of the Super Bowl, 13 to 3, very boring game. You could not ask for a better transition into the start of your season. And also, yeah, like you said, it's actually, it'll probably be pretty, I guess, competitive. And like you have some really good storylines. Yeah, it's going to, like, I, I think that it's it's going to be fun. And I think that the, the thing that, um, SEC fans or maybe college football fans are becoming more aware of is that th- there are going to be leagues like the Pacific Pro Football League that is going to try yeah. and start stealing high school players by, That's weird. by paying them. And, you know, I'm obviously very skeptical of that. And I think that, you know, so if you don't know about this league or if you didn't hear there's about it there's a recruiting weekend, rankings for those kids individually, I'm going to lose it, Connor. No, we won't get to that point, I don't think. There's four teams in Southern California. This league is starting in 2020. 
The league co-founder is Don Yee, who's Tom Brady's agents, and the commissioner is Ed McCaffrey, father of Christian, father of Dylan, former NFL player, all that. So Yee wants Trevor Lawrence to become the Joe Namath, as I said mm-hmm. earlier, and I think that their goal is to sort of dip into this this frenzy of college football and what we have come to know as this this juggernaut that can't be slowed down that right. you know we talked about the SEC 43 million dollars in, in annual revenue that they bring in that was reported last week and so I think that they're trying to dip into this market but the NFL and college football are not going to be worried about this no. for an obvious reason because if if this is any if this has any success and if they are actually able to get a few players, college football can just step in and just say, eh, "All right, we'll change we'll change it to two years instead of three years." That you have to go to college football before playing in the NFL. Well, you also it, like I mean, it's how, taken care of. Yeah, agreed. I don't know how many. I don't think it's going to be like a back and forth like it was with college basketball, like the one and done type deal. Because I think you have a really, right. really established product from both the NFL, obviously, and college football. And not saying that there won't be some players, but if you get like a marquee name, that's going to be a tougher sell. Like I don't see. Trevor Lawrence actually going out to play for whatever this league is. Um, not saying it couldn't happen, but yeah, I think you have to establish a little bit of, I guess, credit that had to be around for a while. Right. And I think that, too, what, what, what says a lot is that the NFL Network is actually going to be broadcasting some Alliance of American Football. I games. love that. <laughs> That's great because the, the NFL obviously took a, a hard stance against the XFL when right. it came out, as you recall, and that was, it was NBC's baby and NBC went after the XFL because it got left out of these rights deals right. and was trying to get a piece of the football market. And so now what the NFL is saying is basically like, you know what, actually, if this thing works out in our favor, we can put, we can give, we can create some nice storylines by giving yeah. these guys a little bit of a stage and this can become a different sort of feeder system instead of just the right. CFL, where that's a little bit tougher to kind of you know, go into and get the, some of those guys out because, you know, it's 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 a little bit of a different money situation, at least it is currently. Yeah. And, you know, some of the rules and stuff, it's just a different set of rules that you're playing with up there as opposed to games that are being played on American soil. And I'm not saying that it's going to be as competitive or as good of a league as the CFL, but I just think that it's interesting from a football standpoint of trying to figure out how these dynamics are going to work. And if there are these guys who, you know, like we talked about with Tommy Maddox in the XFL, remember that? Yeah. Tommy, Tommy Maddox lights up the XFL and all of a sudden he gets a chance in the NFL game. Yeah. And who's going to be one of those guys maybe in the Alliance of American Football? Maybe our guy, our best friend, Aaron Murray. Who, yeah. Long overdue to come back on the podcast. Maybe on he's a guy that like lights it up and all of a sudden he just finds a new set of confidence and he gets back into the NFL or something like that. So I just think that we're gonna, we sh- you should be monitoring these things. Yeah. And if you're a football fan who's looking to, to satisfy this itch, like flip on Jeez. CBS Allie's on Saturday so night, pissed. man. So pissed, but I can't wait. So much I mean, it's also it's, it's not like the XFL in terms of it's familiar football. It's not like the CFL where like the rules are different or the field is different. Exactly, it's it's familiar football to the like the average or actual fan of of NFL and college football. And on top of that, it's. It's, I mean, Aaron Murray's like, what, two, three years removed from playing in the NFL? And you have guys that aren't that far out from being in the NFL. And, yeah, I think it serves more of like a feeder system as opposed to like a sideshow that the XFL was. Where it was like, we don't, we're not going to kick off. We're going to like sit on two separate ends of the field and then sprint at each other and see if we can give each other a concussion before like the first play of the game. So, yeah, it should be good. I wish Tim Garcia would get in there. I know. Yeah, how did that not happen? He's probably going to be in one of those. He was doing some trials and stuff. I'm monitoring it. Yeah. I'll let you know. Yeah, you're you're strictly on the the Stephen Garcia beat. That's right. Um, 
but yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm hopefully, like I said, I'm gonna go there Saturday and I'll, I'll report back with some details about uh, just how, how everything goes. And yeah. there's kind of what it is because there's, there's gonna be a lot of SEC names in there. Austin Appleby, former Florida quarterback, gonna be starting for Steve Spurrier's offense. Crazy, right? There you go. So let's do some fourth and wrong. All right, so we have a, we have four. We have four questions this week for fourth and wrong. First and foremost, we have from Tommy Cochran on Twitter. If you could try any man versus food challenge, what would it be? That's a good question. I know, right? I would tend to go. I've seen some of the ones where it's like a like a uh, what was it like a um, not like a pirate platter, but something to that extent. <laughs> Sorry, what happened? Like a pirate platter. What it was, was like that? a. It was something where it was like it was just a ton of seafood. It was like eight pounds of seafood. Yeah. And I feel like that's the way to go, definitely. Um, that's pretty, if, yeah. if you can get one of those seafood challenges, you got a much better chance of being able to, if you're doing like ground beef or steak, just forget about it. You, you don't have no. the, the stomach capacity to do that. But like on a good day, I feel like I could at least put a good amount, I could I could put a good dent into some lobster, some salmon, something like yeah. that. Yeah, so I would, I would say chicken nuggets. And the reason why, there's like a, there was a Chick-fil-A in like Gwinnett when I was growing up and they would have like all you can eat nugget night and they would like post whoever ate the most, which is a terrible way to contribute to childhood obesity. But it was something we did almost every single week. And one of my friends ate 84. I feel That's like disgusting. now, it's probably, I mean, it's not good, but I feel like now that I've like conditioned my body more to like cater towards this type of event, I think I could do that. I, I, do feel, like you're in sh- I feel like you're in shape to hit 85. I'm in, I'm in eating shape. I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. Okay, uh, this is from Kendall Allen on Instagram. What was the best Super Bowl halftime show ever? A lot of flat. No, not commercial. Halftime show, and I really wish oh, you didn't halftime do it. show. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so glad that just happened. I'm so glad that just happened. <laughs> halftime show. Um, you know, I'm gonna be a little bit impartial to Michael Jackson. I, I we're gonna have the same historic. one. I knew it. I, I can't. I mean, I, Michael Jackson, and Beyonce are the two best, and it's not close. Yeah, I mean, Prince is pretty good. I'm not a Prince guy though. Like I, I get he's crazy talented, not denying that, but I people freak out over Prince and I'm kinda just like, you know, unbelievable musician, but yeah. he, he's kinda in the same way that the Beatles are for me, I can understand why people love them, but they're just like not my thing and yeah, I can that, never really yeah. become a fan. Not a big fan of the Beatles either. Um, which is gonna feed into the next question. But I will say the same exact one. It was nineteen ninety three. I think it was at the Rose Bowl. So it's like a perfect yes, iconic was, venue. Yeah. And you remember how awkward the start was? Because he just put out Dangerous, that album that had like everything. The Free Willy song, right. personal favorite. Um, he went out and just like stood there in silence for like 30 or 40 seconds more than he told the producers that he was going to. And they thought it was like dead air. They were going to cut away. And then like last second, he goes into the performance. It was awesome. Um, and there was no left shark involved, which is cool. Um, so next question. Favorite rock band of all time? Somebody actually asked this one a couple weeks ago. I forgot to throw it in. I would probably go ACDC. No, oh, that's good. Um, I, Thunderstruck, I mean, shook me all night. Like I, I could jam to some ACDC. That you could probably, eh, I don't know. That that to me is just kind of takes the cake. Led Zeppelin, you'd throw in there. Um, I know there are a lot of people are big Rolling Stone fans. I, yeah. I could listen to Rolling Stones. I, I'd say those three are probably my my podium. That's pretty good. I mean, I, ACDC, especially the early stuff. By the way, like Let There Be Rock. Personal favorite. Well, and then their lead singer died, and then they found somebody who sounded exactly like him. Yeah, which is unbelievable. Fantastic. Um, I would say the Who, and I'm, I'm doing Ooh, that's good. for two reasons. One, because I love them, and I love almost everything they do. 
but also because uh, I'm trying to drop a hint because they're touring currently this year, and I would like some tickets to that. Not from you, but if you're listening, Allie, I want tickets to The Who. It's my favorite rock band of all time. It's like, that's National the only, tour? yeah. They're gonna be in Atlanta in, I think, September, and it's not on a Saturday. Um, they're gonna be in Nashville in May, so. Anyway, last question. Do you play video games? If so, what are your favorites? From Jake Gordon on Twitter. All right, so this is gonna sound like an old man take. I There was a time in my life where I, I would go through spurts playing video games where I could spend an entire weekend playing like NFL Blitz. Yeah. Uh, my buddies and I played a lot of Mario Kart in college. And that, I mean, I went to college from 2008, 2012. So we were, I mean, we just loved the originals. But yeah. um, I would go through stretches where like I could just kill two days playing Madden and then just not play it again for six months. Yeah. And so I'm kind of weird when it comes to video games. I Tell don't with own... Nuggets. Right, you just eat, you binge eat them. Yeah, and then exactly. You're like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, no, I, I'm not. Um, one of one of the things that my wife loves most about me is that like I don't play video games. I know yeah. that sounds bad, but I just to me, there's always something else that I I could be doing. It's just not the the way that I want to really spend my downtime. I don't know. That sounds bad. I'm not gonna hate on you if you do, yeah. but I just never been never been like a guy who wanted to just do that for like weeks on end. Like Mario Kart, that's a really good point because I, I used to like get excited for weekends or like, oh, it's going to rain. I don't have to go outside when I was like in eighth grade and just played Mario Kart for like two straight days. Um, that was a, a all-time favorite. The other one would be Call of Duty. I loved Call of Duty. But like Fortnite and stuff like that, yeah, I don't really – I haven't really gotten into yeah. it. It's, a, it's just a little bit tougher. I'd rather yeah. just watch college football replays over and over. Also time. true. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was, that was good. Those were really good ones. Um, that was yeah, from we Jake Gordon. today on Super Bowl Monday, so. Yeah, for uh, everybody dealing with, you're probably going to listen to this on, on a Tuesday, Tuesday morning, driving to work or something like that. Tuesday afternoon, coming back from work. I don't know. Yeah. But you're probably still hungover from the Super Bowl. So, yeah, thank you for um, joining us for this. I've got a rant. It's, it might mean too much time. Florida State. <sighs> I needed a sigh. Because Florida State is driving me freaking nuts. Yeah. And what they did the other day is just peak Florida State being awful right now. I understand that there's a time when Florida State was really, really great. And every, everybody who went to Florida State could brag about the fact that they went to Florida State. And they could tomahawk chop in everybody's face. But now is not that time. And Florida nope. State is still trying to do that. So in case you somehow missed this the other day, Florida State tweeted out, we really, 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 they said really 19 times. Well, that's like an ongoing meme. So they really need other schools to stop claiming DBU. And apparently this was in response to something that Florida did, whatever. They got dragged for this for yeah. a, a, few, a few different reasons. One, the tweet, which everybody pointed out, was shaped like an L. If you're a school that wins five games, people are probably going to bring that up. You know what they're also going to bring up? If you have a secondary that ranks 119th in the country in the past, yep. you try and claim that you're DBU. Just a thought. So, I get why Florida State is trying to, you know, they're trying to do this ahead of signing day, and you want to try and claim that, you know, you got all these great guys, you know, Derwin James of the world, and you want to claim that you're this big power and, and all that stuff, even though you've been, you know, dog crap for the last two yeah. seasons. But I think what Brandon Boyd said, uh, who responded to this tweet and got a lot of love, I think he might have got more likes than the actual tweet itself. Uh, he, at least he should have. So good. He said, y'all really made a bunch of teams look like QBU, RBU, and wide receiver U this year. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You did. So Florida State's main hashtag right now is do something. You know what you should do, Florida State? How about you don't get smacked in the face by Syracuse? How about, you, 
How about you don't ignore your fans' concern to hire the Baylor assistant who helped oh. enable a culture of mass sexual assault? How about you just like listen to what your fans are saying about him and not pretend like you're taking a strong stance when you kick DeAndre Francois off your team? How about you just decide, you know what, we're going to do the right thing and we're going to hire guys that can actually run our offense and we're not going to be idiots on social media. And you know what else we're not, we're not going to do? We're not going to take horribly photoshopped pictures of Martin Luther King and try and make it look like he's doing some sort of stupid tomahawk chop. You know what you should do, Florida State? Do something that doesn't make you look totally stupid just for once like for once in the last year just just like act like a regular school and just kind of shut up until you win again can you do that florida state just a thought i am i've never seen this side of you that was a whoo it was overdue he did it was overdue i i just like i can't get over this really florida busting state their chops making... huh their tomahawk chops boom nailed I, it I there you go so you're welcome People forget that they do the tomahawk chop. Oh, wait, they don't because they do that every time they gain four yards. Okay. Like, let's. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually accurate, I think. Which Although that is a worthy awesome. accomplishment these days in Florida State, so I guess they should be doing that. I, Keep I it going. Know. If you got hate in your heart, let it out, Connor. Oh, man. I have, like, I've never had anything in my, in my life, like, against Florida State growing up, but, like, I just hate. I hate, hate, hate when schools do stupid things left and right and still think that they're one of the big boys. It's like. You know what? You're not. You're just not. And you, until then, you just need to kind of act like it. When you win half as many games as your rival, and you watch Notre Dame go to the playoff, and you watch yeah. Florida win a New Year's Six Bowl, just just like kind of chill for a little bit, and don't try and pretend like you're this thing that you're not, because those days are gone. And right now, I'm not convinced that Willie Taggart is the guy that's all of a sudden going to turn this around. All right, rant over. Yeah, I, I mean, I would argue some of the stuff about DBU, but I, I don't want to because I'm scared of you right now. I think yeah, it's because like, of Deion Sanders, the 30 for 30 that's coming out. And the uh, you know, and they're DBU still wrong. Slash... I'm, on, I'm on your side. I'm on your side. Don't yell at me. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's... and I'm not even like that's not even my my. Uh, if you want to talk like historics and stuff like that's, that's let's do it discussion. right. We'll do a special pod right tomorrow now? about DBU. No, I'm kidding. <sighs> um, that actually would be a good topic in the future though for DBU because it's always argued between LSU and Florida and apparently now Florida State. But yeah, like, you know, bringing up like the Florida State Twitter, especially like their social media stuff. Oh, they're failing after, so badly. After they did the the. Uh, Photoshop of Martin Luther King, which is so horrifically dumb that they actually did that. I don't know how they followed up with this. Like, maybe just sit this one out. Sit the next play out, guys. Just, just take chill. a lap. Just chill, man. Florida State, most desperate program in the country right now, and it's not even close. Boom. Sad. Florida State is, you know what Florida State is? Florida State is the person that goes to college, and, like, they were hot stuff in high school, and everybody wanted to be friends with them. And then they get to college, and then it's like, yeah, maybe you put on a little bit of weight. And yeah, maybe maybe all of a sudden you realize that, oh, when I'm not playing sports, I don't have this built-in group of friends. That's Florida State right now. You Florida State so is trying to get back. Passionate, like just, oh, it's, just, it's bothering me. It's bothering me to my core. Let's end on Should that. Should we get so Willie on the a, pod? Oh, we should. I, I tell him how I think he's overrated, and I don't think that he's going to be the guy to turn this program around. But that's Ooh. another topic for another time. Anyways, hope you enjoyed that. Hope that you're enjoying good. the offseason. Hope you're enjoying... <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the Alliance of American Football. And I got something like... to say about Zodiac signs real quick. No, I, don't, I do not. I do not. Whoa. I'll That's save that for another day. With all the with all the serial killer killer murder specials on Netflix Dude, right now, that's that's problematic. I think I said it last no. week. I, thank God we had the cable and internet growing up, because apparently if we didn't and grew up in the sixties or seventies, we'd just be serial killers or have a mustache. Oh, different times. Ugh. We need football. Yeah. We need football. Uh, what day are you doing Facebook Live? Tonight, week? Monday at 8.30. Coming in hot. I hope you come in Wednesday. just as hot as I did. Oh, and Wednesday. Yeah, for signing day. Yeah. That's right. 
We're gonna have a ton of content, signing day related. Like I said, I know there's not as many announcements, but still make sure that you are following us on all forms of social media. Everything that's viral, you're gonna see it on SDS. I, I promise you that. We're gonna talk about it on Wednesday. I think that pod's gonna come out Wednesday nights or it's gonna come out Thursday morning, one right. of those two things. We are going to recap signing day, everything that, that leads into that. Should still be a lot of fun. Coach O, I'm out of breath. What do we need to remember? It might mean too much. Connor, that rant might mean too much. Talk to you guys later.